This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and I feel very honored to have on the program today the acclaimed and award-winning author Kathy Kaser, whose many books focus on the Second World War and the Holocaust. Also later on in the show, Kathy's super talented daughter, Broadway singer and musical theater performer Gabby Epstein will be here to sing a track from her newest album, Gabs Sings Babs. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Kathy Kaser. Kathy's parents were both survivors of the Holocaust. Her mother survived the war by hiding while her father was a survivor of the concentration camps. Their stories of survival were an inspiration to Kathy while growing up. As an adult, she was determined to write their stories and pass them on to young readers. So in that way, future generations would never forget that time in history. This really all began when Kathy's elementary school teacher said, why don't you write that story down? And 40 years and 30 books later, that's exactly what Kathy is still trying to do, write that story. Her many books focus on the Second World War, as I just mentioned, and the Holocaust and include, and you can see some of them in the background here, The Secret of Gabby's Dresser, Hiding Edith, To Look a Nazi in the Eye, Call Across the Sea, the Brushmaker's Daughter, Broken Strings, and Under the Iron Bridge, just to name a few. A winner of numerous Forest of Reading Awards and the Jewish Book Award in Canada and the U.S., Kathy has written unforgettable stories inspired by real events. She's published in 20 countries and travels the world speaking to young people in schools and libraries about the importance of the Holocaust and keeping its memory alive. She dreams of singing and dancing, but has decided to leave that to her two talented kids, both of whom have been on this show. And of course, that's Gabby Epstein and Jake Epstein. Kathy Kaser, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Oh, thank you, Judy. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's so wonderful to have you here. Finally, now I'm going to be able to put it all together where all of this talent comes from. I've been reading your books all week, and I really have been finding them so compelling and so well-written. I really love The Secret of Gabby's Dresser, and I can see it as a film. I don't know if that's ever in the works, but I really saw that. And I know you write for young audiences. And I just wanted to comment that as someone who is young at heart, but certainly not young, it really translates to our Zoomer audience as well. Can you tell us about that pivotal moment after working as a psychologist for 20 years when you decided to reimagine your life and become a writer? Well, um, it's such an important question because it was such a big transition for me. You know, I, I loved working as a psychologist. It was my first career and I, I loved working. I was working with troubled teens and their families. Uh, but, you know, I hit that age and stage where I was asking myself, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. And the answer was a really clear no, it's not mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. And what I really wanted to do, you know, I had lost both of my parents by then. Sadly, my parents died when I was way too young to lose both of my parents. Mm-hmm. And their stories of survival had resonated so much with me when I was growing up. I always loved to write. That was the other thing I loved. But I was also at that stage where my kids were asking me so many questions about my parents, neither of whom were here. Mm -hmm. And I knew that the only way I could talk about my parents was to talk about their history as survivors of the Holocaust. And I was looking for a way to begin to tell my children those same survival stories that had been told to me when I was their age. And so in telling the stories to my kids, it was just a natural kind of transition for me to start to write the stories down. And I started with that one story about my mother, which became my very first book, The Secret of Gabby's Dresser. I love also that you've named your daughter Gabby, because there's sort of a belief in Judaism that when you say the name of the loved one that is no longer with us, it's sort of like a double blessing. So you're saying the name Gabby, and it's a double blessing every time you say it because it's saying your daughter's name and your mother's name simultaneously. Do you ever feel that? Oh, always, Judy, always. And I think that 
my daughter, Gabby, also lives with that knowledge that she has her grandmother's name and wow. that it, it means so much. It means so much to her as well. Yeah. Did it pour out of you that first book? Was it sort of something that just came easily or was it painstaking or what do you remember about that first writing experience? I wouldn't say it poured out of me. You know, I was still in a place where I was trying to figure out the whole writing process. As much as I loved writing, I didn't have a published book at that point. So I was kind of writing stuff down and, and struggling with, does this make sense? Is it appropriate for that audience? Is there a story that I'm telling? Does the story make sense? So, you know, I was taking a lot of kind of writing classes and speaking with mm. editors and trying to figure out what this story would look like. And then I sent the idea out to a whole bunch of publishers. I didn't have a complete book at that time. And uh, the publisher of Gabby's Dresser, a publisher by the name of Second Story Press, their publisher, Margie Wolf, who is also the child of survivors, she uh, responded to my query and said, you know, we're not ready to publish it yet, but if you keep working on it and keep developing it, I really want to see it when it's done. So listen, what a great incentive that is. You know, here was a publisher who was interested in the book. So I worked like crazy to get that first draft done, got it to her. And it was still a long process before the the book actually came out. But I've now written, I think, 12 or 13 books with Second Story Press. So they have become a great partner in the writing process for me. Wow. Congratulations. That's really, really incredible. Can you tell me about your mother, Gabby, and what she was like and what your memories are of her? So, uh, you know, I said earlier that my parents spoke quite openly about their survival experiences. And my mother was very open about having hidden as a child and what it meant and being with her mother at that time and and the fear that she felt. And, uh, you know, so all of those stories would often come pouring out of her. Mm -hmm. Not in a way that terrified me, because, you know, I think that's always the great fear that when we talk about this history, which can at times be a terrifying history, Mm -hmm. that it's not possible to talk about that history with a child. We had conversations about her history and about, and I asked a million, you know, I was that kid that asked a million questions, uh, not only of her, but of, you know, her friends who were also survivors and my father and his friends. And my mother was a very gentle woman. She, she would have been, I'm not sure how she would have felt about the attention that came with this book and this story, because it's certainly not something that she was looking for, or, uh, you know, I think she might have been, I don't know if, if the word embarrassed is right, but I'm not sure what she would have thought of the attention. I think she would have been very proud of me for doing the writing, but not yes. sure of the attention that came to her. So my memories are of a very beautiful, very gentle, very loving uh, woman who had had a very difficult history, but had somehow managed to overcome it in the most positive ways. Mm. And I also wondered about your father. I felt like I knew your father from reading about the father figure in Hiding Edith and in Gabby's Dresser. Can you tell us about your father and about the beautiful song that the papa in Gabby's Dresser sings to Gabby with that comforting voice saying, I will shelter you from harm. You must have no fear. You'll be safe, my precious child. You'll be safe, my dear. Were those actually words that he actually said to you or did you dream that up? No, I think I dreamed that up, in all honesty. Uh, I know that my father had a very close relationship with her father. So she spoke a lot about how close they were, how important he was in her life, uh, certainly when he was alive, but even the importance he had in her life after he had passed away. So I just believed. uh, And yes, my father was such a huge, important influence on me as well. I just believed that he would somehow be present at my mother's most desperate moment, which was that moment of hiding in the dresser. And that, you know, there had to be some comfort that he would offer in that moment through those words. So this was your imagination, but based on the person that you knew that he was or that you heard about. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, that book is historical fiction. So I did have the opportunity to sort of take the story a little bit in other directions that I knew would also be important for the young readers who were picking this up and reading it. Yes. 
Incredible. Where did the inspiration for Under the Iron Bridge come from? Oh, I love that book so much. Um, so, you know, listen, I study this history on a daily basis, and I'm always doing these deep dives into words and groups and individuals that come up as I'm looking for information about this history. And honestly, one day, the words Edelweiss Pirates came up on my internet and I thought, wow, that's an interesting name. (laughs) And when I went looking further, I found out that the Edelweiss Pirates were a group of teenage resistance fighters in Germany during the war. They called themselves the Edelweiss Pirates because they wore an Edelweiss pin on their collar or lapel. And, you know, the Edelweiss flower is considered this like very hardy, resistant flower. It survives in all conditions. And that's how the Edelweiss pirates saw themselves. But they were also completely opposed to everything that Adolf Hitler stood for. And they became one of the largest teenage resistance groups at that time. There were about 5,000 members of the Edelweiss pirates across Germany. So as soon as I discovered them, I just knew that was a book that I wanted to write, the whole notion of teenage resistance fighters during the war, what kids were capable of doing at that time, despite the dangers that were present to them. You know, these were kids that rejected everything that had to do with the Hitler youth and Mm -hmm. fought back against that. I thought it was just such a powerful message for Mm -hmm. young people, you know, standing up for your friends and neighbors, standing up for right in the world Uh, today. That's a message that's more important than ever. And, you know, what incredible role models these young resistance fighters were or are for young people reading this story. So, yeah, I grabbed that story and just (laughs) ran with it. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I have a question and I have to actually get the book to ask this question. But there is in this beautiful book, Hiding Edith, you say that, and I want to just read this properly, that you dedicate the book to Edith Schwab Gelbard, a courageous and admirable woman. And you say your gratitude is to Edith Gelbard for sharing her story. And I just wanted to ask you about this incredible group. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. The Mosaic, the Mosaic, uh, this group of wonderful people who protected all of these Jewish children. And you went and interviewed this woman, Edith. So I'd love to just hear because this book is unbelievable to all of our listeners. I want to say Hiding Edith, A True Story, which has won all of these awards, including the Yad Vashem Prize for the Children's Holocaust Literature Award in 2009, was just beyond compelling and so well written. But I couldn't get over this group and these two saints that ran this place with all of these children where Edith hid. Yes. So uh, the town is pronounced Moissac. It's a French town in southern France. And yes, there was this incredible couple that ran this house in Moissac where um, Jewish children were hidden. They came and stayed there for sometimes short period of time, sometimes a longer period of time. Their families had disappeared in most cases, uh, leaving them in this, what was considered to be, or what was hoped to be a safe house mm. for the children. Wow. And um, of the fi- roughly 500 children who passed through this house in Wasak over the course of the war, mm. every single one of them remained safe, except for one child. There's the documented... Yes, Yes, the one who left in the middle of the night and she was so upset. The person that was running this wonderful house kept saying, don't go, don't go. Right. And that is a documented story. One child was taken out of the house by her parents who thought she would be safer with them. That family was arrested and killed in the death camps. Other Mm. than that, all the other children who came through the house in Wasak remained safe. That's not to say that was the case with all of their parents. In many cases, these children's parents perished during the Holocaust, Mm. but the children themselves remained safe. And Edith, who is still alive, by the way, she lives in Toronto, a remarkable woman. I heard her speak to a group of kids years before I was working on the book. And as soon as she started to tell that story of having been hidden in this house in Wasak by this wonderful couple and all of the things that took place in this house, I went up to her after her talk, told her who I was. I was already a couple of books into my writing and said, you're the person I want to meet with next. This is the story I want to do next. And so we began to meet and met, you know, for 
oh, I don't know, hundreds of hours while I sort of peeled through her life and collected all the pieces of information that became this book. I'm, I'm really grateful to her for being so open with me about her life story. It was just incredible the way they formed this community, all the children, and they worked together and they were kind to each other and they helped each other. And and even though they missed their parents, like you, you saw Edith at night would start thinking about her family and have pangs. And the way she went and visited her little brother, there was something so compelling about the way he wrapped his arms around her and that that relationship. Was there more on the brother and what that was all about? You know, her brother was very young at that time. Edith was about 11. Her brother was four. I mean, he was such a a baby being sent to this safe house. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, Edith felt very protective of him the whole time that they were there. And the other thing, you know, to keep in mind was not only were these children close to one another and protecting one another, but this whole town. Here's another example of what was possible at that time. The entire town knew about the children that were in this house in Wasak and everyone kept their secrets safe. Yes, yes. So, you know, from the mayor to the shopkeepers, to the housewives, to the farmers, to the everybody colluded in that secret. As I said, it's just such an incredible example of what was possible. Not enough of it happened, obviously, uh, but this is such an incredible example of what was possible. And it sort of restores your faith in humanity, even though part of humanity lost it completely during that time. There was no humanity, obviously, yes. in Hitler's Germany, but but there was humanity in other parts of the world. Thank God. Yes, that, yes. And this story is such a hopeful, beautiful. It just blew me away how you, you wrote that story. It was absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank you. When you wrote Gabby's Dresser, and I just have got to go back to the dresser for a second, because it's funny how sometimes an inanimate object can become so personified that I really feel like that dresser is almost like a character. Do you feel that way when you look at the dresser? I know you still have it after all of these yes. years. Do you look at that dresser and just imagine things about it and see it as a real, almost like a person? All the time. All the time. So my grandmother kept that dresser in her home until her death when she left it to me. I'm so honored that I'm the the one who has that dresser. And, you know, I just remember my grandmother would lovingly polish it. You know, she would talk to it as she was polishing it. And uh, I won't say that I talk to the dresser, but I... I certainly am always aware of its importance. I mean, it is an inanimate object. It is the vessel that held my mother and kept her safe during that time. You know, interestingly enough, I was actually just speaking to a school this morning. I was doing a school visit with a school in Halifax, and the kids asked me if they could see the dresser. And so I carted my my computer <laughs> over to the dresser so that they could actually see what it looked like. And I I've had kids, you know, appear on my doorstep, knock on my door, asking me if they can come in and see the dresser as well. So I realize how important it is for others who are reading this book as well. And I'm really glad it's kind of become almost another character, almost personified, Mm. you know, and, and there is that knowledge that it will, this dresser will live on long after I'm gone and my children are gone and hopefully it will be sitting in one of their dining rooms and they'll be telling the story to their children and grandchildren and you know that history will continue through that story as well and through the dresser through the dresser itself just incredible did you have a sense at the time when you wrote that first book that you were going to go on to become this prolific writer of books on the holocaust for children and teens and that you would write 30 books don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to hear all about your remarkable writing career. We'll be right back after this short break. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. 
Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. And I'm having a delightful conversation with author Kathy Kaser. And I was just asking you before the break, Kathy, if you had a vibe when you wrote that first book that it was going to explode and catapult you into this huge writing career where you'd be traveling the world and speaking about your books and winning all of these awards and really that you had so many stories to tell. Did you have a sense of all of this at the time that you wrote that first book, The Secret of Gabby's Dresser? None. No. No, none whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I, I really think at the beginning I had the one story to tell. I had my mother's story to tell. And then when I finished it, you know, I, I had an idea for another book, which I started. I think I started the second book even before the first one had been fully published and never imagined, oh my gosh, that I would become a, you know, known as sort of a writer of Holocaust literature for young people. And I always say that every time I've written the last book, I think I'm going to write about this history. <laughs> Another incredible story comes to me, and I just feel completely compelled to tell that one as well. And so there's always, there seems to always be a next story. And, you know, let's be honest, there are millions of those stories to tell. Sadly, yes. Sadly, and each one is unique and each one is important and each one deserves to be told and deserves to be remembered. So uh, for now, (laughs) there's no end to the stories that I'm telling. You were also part of a community of Holocaust survivors who would gather at your parents' home. And this is a common theme amongst survivors who've been through the tragedy of the Holocaust. I've heard this from so many different people that I've interviewed. Can you tell us about what it was like to grow up in this way and to hear all of these stories and gain comfort from other people? And I guess for you, it was listening to the other children of other Holocaust survivors that were your peers. But for your parents to have that with people from the world that they had come from, Can you tell us more about what that was like growing up with all of this? Yeah. So, I mean, that was my parents' social network. Their friends were, you know, mostly 99% of their friends were Holocaust survivors. That community was incredibly tight. And it makes so much sense because there was the safety in being able to talk about your own history, your own story, or not talk about it if you Mm -hmm. didn't want to, but just a common understanding of what everyone had been through. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was it was a social club. It was a, an emotionally wrought kind of group of people. It was historical. It was all, it was, you know, we gathered and ate. They, you know, everything about it was just where they kind of lived and breathed. And yes, they all had kids and we would all be playing in another room while our parents were in that one big room talking about their stories and their history. And invariably, I was the one that kind of left my group of people and wandered back into their room so I could hear those stories. And there was something about, you know, I always say that my parents certainly, but even their friends must have had some kind of innate sensitivity about how to tell their history to me and how much to tell me at each stage of my life. So that as I got older, there was more and more information that they were willing and able to share with me, Hmm. you know, which is, I guess, partly why in the writing, you know, I, I wanted to write these books for young people to tell young people the story in the ways I was told these stories as a young person, and then unfolding more of that history, more of that information in the books for older teens through my writing as well. You know, I'm, I'm really recreating my own childhood and the way history was told to me through my writing. That's so fascinating. I, I've heard you say in your bio and in a number of your books that you dream of singing and dancing, but you're going to leave that to your children, Gabby and Jake. But is it still a dream for you to sing and be a performer? And since Ian, your husband, sings as well, I was wondering if you've ever thought of doing a cabaret or a new musical featuring all four members of your family. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my God. No, mine sort of remains more of a dream. Although when Ian and I first married, we actually, believe it or not, we did do birthday parties for young kids where I would sing and he would play the guitar. That is such a piece of ancient history, in all honesty. I can't even believe that we actually did that. But we did that years and years ago. Wow. You know, but then my kids took over. I mean, their ability to sing is way beyond anything that I was ever capable of doing. And yes, my husband Ian sings in our synagogue choir. That's his uh, place to sing and still does that. But you know, my husband is a lawyer, now retired, but was a lawyer. So I always say, you know, and I had two kids who were actors and I was a writer. And we always say, thank goodness there was somebody who had a real job in our family. (laughs) That's so fabulous. I first met you, Kathy. I don't know if you remember this, when I was helping to produce a show at Kerner Hall with 18 Broadway performers for ICRF. And I got your number from Laurel Linetsky Fleischer. And I called you and asked you if Gabby and Jake would be interested in being part of the show that I was involved in, along with my daughter, Lily, who is also a musical theater performer. And you said, I don't know. They're adults. You'll have to contact them directly. And you gave me their emails. And now here we are. So it's such a full circle moment. What is it like being the mom of these two uber talented actors and musical theater performers and singers? Because they really, and I'm going to ask you about two shows that they were each in. I want to talk to you about each moment. But just overall, what is that like for you as a mom having these super successful, talented children? Well, you know, I could ask you the same question, Judy, because you also have a very talented daughter and you're living in this, you know, a bit in this world as well. I'm, I'm, oh gosh, I'm blown away by my kids' talent and um, watching them perform on stage is just, there are no words to describe what that feeling is like. You know, I laugh and I cry all at the same time (laughs) every time I see them on stage. They're also just lovely people. So they're not at all taken with their own success. And that's so important for me, for us, my husband and I. And they're great champions of one another. So they're good friends and huge admirers of each other. And that's really important for me as well. So, uh, you know, we kind of put the quote unquote success into perspective. They're working actors, you know, making a living at what they're doing and hustling for every gig. And um, there are many, many talented people out there. That pyramid is very steep, as you know. And, you know, for people to sort of climb to the top of it is just an ongoing slog. So that's that's what they continue to do. But I'm blown away by what they're capable of and blown away by their talent for sure. I loved when your son Jake told the story of how you would all get into the car for these 10-hour car rides to New York when they were very little and they would play their favorite Broadway CD cast albums and they would sing and they would do duets and solos and like what a wonderful environment that you created and made possible for them to flourish. And what was it like for you to be sitting in that Broadway opening night performance of Spider-Man when your son Jake was the star of Spider-Man on Broadway? I mean, it just doesn't get any better. And he did do a lot of other fabulous things as well. But just that first moment sitting in that theater, I can't even imagine. What was that like for you? Well, uh, you know, first thing I'll say is it was terrifying because, you know, here is one of those massive stages and he's about to come out and I know he's going to be flying around that big theater. So, you know, there's that sort of physical side of it that's kind of a bit terrifying. I was terrified for him and how he would handle all of this. And he had been quite terrified before that very first show. Yes. You know, but from the second he took the stage and opened his mouth to sing, I just lost myself in the show, just lost myself in it and cried and laughed and, and all of the (laughs) above. It's just heady stuff. And now I'm going to fast forward to the Stratford Festival. 
And now it's your daughter, Gabby Epstein, playing Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. And now you're sitting in that audience on that opening night again. <laughs> yeah, nervous for her, anxious for her, thrilled for her. I mean, this was also, you know, one of her dreams come true. So thrilled for her that I was actually there to witness it. And I cried and I laughed and I <laughs> did all of the same things and, wow. and just completely celebrated that moment with her. It was phenomenal. Oh, it's so incredible. You have a new book coming out, Kathy, in September of 2022 called Hidden on the High Wire, based on the true story of a Jewish circus performer who was hidden in a circus during the Second World War. My goodness. Can you tell us briefly more about that? So isn't that already sort of an oxymoron, a Jewish circus performer? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I know. So that's another one of those stories. When I read that one somewhere in that black hole that I was exploring, I thought, wow, a Jewish circus performer. And, And she was part of a, believe it or not, a Jewish circus dynasty that existed in Germany before the Second World War. And then her family circus had to close down, as did all Jewish businesses. And she and her mother went into hiding in another circus. They hid there under assumed names. Uh, She continued to perform on the high wire during the war. That circus was searched by the Gestapo numerous times, looking for Jews who might be hidden in these various places. Her secret was kept safe and Mm. she survived. So again, just another remarkable story of survival and another remarkable story of someone who was willing to help. The circus owner who took her in to his circus knew that she was Jewish, knew it was against the law to hire her and was willing to risk his life and willing to risk his circus to have her and her mother staying there. Mm. So, you know, it's both about telling her story and celebrating somebody who was willing to help. Wow, I can't wait for that one. I'm going to have to read all of your books because I'm I'm loving everything that I've read thus far. I have to ask you what your writing process is like for writers out there when you're in the middle of a story, like you've figured it out. Is it every day? Is it morning, afternoon, night? When is your best time to write? What is your writing process? So I do love to write mostly in the morning. That's my great time. I find, you know, there's sort of a peacefulness about the morning that I love the most. Uh, So I'm always an early riser and always at the computer early. I need to write for solid blocks of time. I'm not one of those writers that can grab 15 minutes or 20 minutes here or there. I need several hours to really sort of get into the story, really get my head into the characters and really think about where the story is going. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily write every day because I'm also speaking in schools and libraries. So I kind of devote hopefully three to four days a week of writing and then another two to three days, depending on the week, to speaking and doing kind of the other business of being a writer. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yes, being in the middle of a story and knowing where it's going and having those characters live in my head and speak to me. And and they do speak to Mm -hmm. me. They really do speak to me. I hear their voices. So Hours can go by. Time means nothing to me when I'm in that place. And it really is a, a fantastic place to be right in the middle of a story, knowing where it's going and knowing that I've got the sort of plot planned out over the next weeks and months. Do you think that your background working in psychology for 20 years has helped you develop such three dimensional characters because they really seem very real? Would you say that just understanding people and working as a psychologist for all those years has helped you as a writer? I, you know, it, I guess it has to have helped me. I don't quite define where or how. I think it's helped me in speaking with survivors and gathering information about their histories, having yeah. survivors trust me to share their survival stories with me. Um, yes, it helps me in terms of my writing. It helps me when I speak to kids, I think, and kind of parse through the questions they're asking or the things that they're interested in. So I know it helps me on every level of my my life and the work that I'm doing. Um, I think it's kind of second nature. It's just there as a part wow. of my background. For aspiring novelists out there, whether it's for writing nonfiction or fiction, if someone has a story they're bursting to tell, but they can't seem to get started, what is your best advice on how to do so? 
Take courses. I mean, there's so many wonderful short-term courses that are offered. I actually teach at um, Continuing Ed at the University of Toronto. I teach a course called Writing for Children. And the people who are in that course, it's an introductory course, have often never written a word. So I'm talking about the writing process and what's involved. But at some point, I will say to people, just write. Like pick a word, start to write on a word, start to write on a sentence. Just, there's no other, you don't learn it from a book. You don't learn it from a course. Just start to write and write a page, you know, write a page, write two pages. And it may not be good, a good page or two pages. It doesn't matter. Just start to get words on the page and then you're going to take it from there and begin to develop something better. Do you start with a table of contents and then go or does it just begin and then you go back to it? Like, how does that part work? Okay, so I'm a planner when it comes to writing. So we talk about planners and we talk about pantsers, the people who fly by the seat of their pants and those who plan their books. I'm a really intricate planner. So before I start to write, I do like to plot out what my book is going to be, really almost chapter by chapter. It's a blueprint. I'll change it as I'm going along, but I need it as, you know, sort of the overarching arc to my story. It's there to really help me stay focused. Wonderful. The question that I ask everyone, I think you know what's coming, is what is bliss for Kathy Kaser? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me. I'm so excited that I was hoping you'd ask me we'd get to this. Um, You know, for me, it's two things, really. Uh, On a personal level, it's family. Family is always bliss for me, my children. We've already talked about, you know, what it does for me when I when I hear them perform, when I listen to them sing. I am in my happy place when I am with my kids, with my husband, with my extended family. I don't have to say a word. I just need to be in the midst of it all. And I'm feeling pure joy and and feeling so blessed to have the family that I have. And then on a professional level, it is that time when I'm in the middle of a book that I'm writing and that book is living in my head, sometimes keeping me up at night, which is not that blissful, but, you know, just just living and breathing for me and I know where it's going and I know what I want it to be and I I feel so confident in the story that I'm telling and it is an incredible high when I'm in that place and creating the books that I really believe will resonate with young kids. Thank you very much for being here today, Kathy. I'm very, I'm emotional and I'm trying to figure out why, but I think it's just because you're really a wonderful example of somebody who has found her bliss and is living her bliss mm-hmm. and really gets it. And I find that just uh, very touching. So wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much, Judy. It was really such a joy to talk to you. Thank you. You as well. I know I forgot to ask this, so I'm going to say, what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? Okay, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Kathy Kaser is sort of all around there. And uh, my website is www.kathykaser.com. And you can email me through my website. So I'd love to hear from your listeners as well. That's wonderful. I want to thank you so much, Kathy Kaser, for being on the show today. It's been wonderful. We're going to go on a short commercial break, more with Finding Your Bliss and singer and musical theater performer Gabby Epstein when we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're now joined again by one of Canada's leading stage and cabaret performers, Gabby Epstein. Back again now in season three of Finding Your Bliss to tell us all about her new album. Gabby was here in our first season and talked to us about her debut album, Show Off. And now she has just released her sophomore album, and is overjoyed to share her love letter to Barbra Streisand in this wonderful album, Gabs Sings Babs, which was just released. Is that correct? That is correct. (laughs) That's fantastic. It's been out for just shy of a month. So it's just released right at the end of May and uh, feeling great. I'm so proud of you. You are such an awesome talent in this country. And I want to just tell our listeners a little bit more about you before we start. You have been hailed, Gabby, as Canada's Queen of Cabaret by CTV. Pretty cool. cool. (laughs) Love that. You're a Dora Award winner and one of Canada's leading stage cabaret performers, best known for playing Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors at the Stratford Festival, and Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl at the Siegel Centre, and also for the Harold Green Jewish Theatre. Your theatrical credits also include Once with Mervish, which won a Dora Award, Billy Elliot at the Stratford Festival, Prom Queen, Fam Jam with your brother, Jake Epstein, who was also on this show, and that was in Portside Songs Musical Stage Company. You've been in Fiddler in several theaters, The Little Mermaid, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Candide, Danny Girl, The Sound of Music, Blood Brothers, Perfect Wedding at Drayton, We Will Rock You, Magnus, To Life, Harold Green Again, Jewish Theater, Dora Award nomination for Outstanding Performance, and Toy Story, the musical as an original company member with Disney. (laughs) You're going to be appearing... Pretty cool. In 9 to 5, the musical at the Capitol Theatre in Port Hope later this summer. You've performed in concerts and cabarets all over North America. And your show, Don't Tell Mama, was named Best Cabaret of the Year by the Times Square Chronicles. Your stage show. So I want to just explain to our audience, there is an album called Gab Sings Babs. And there's also a stage show which debuted at the Toronto Jazz Festival and has subsequently been performed at the Siegel Centre in Montreal, the Globus Theatre, and it just opened at the Port Stanley Festival. And it will be performed for Theatre Collingwood in July 2022. So you guys all have a chance to go and see Gabby in this. How cool. Gabby, welcome back to Finding Your Bliss. It is so lovely to be here as always. Great to see you again, Judy. Great to see you too. So Gabby, you have created, and I find this so, I I don't know why I get the shivers when I say this, like I just find it so fabulous that you created an album of jazz-inspired, reimagined arrangements of Barbra Streisand tunes called Gabs Sings Babs, vocals co-arranger Gabby Epstein, piano producer co-arranger Mark Camilleri. You've been working on this for a long time with Mark. I know this has been a a love affair project. Ross McIntyre on bass, Ben Riley on the drums, and it's truly fantastic. And I'm so excited that you're going to be singing a track from your album today. Can you tell us a little bit more about the album and the release last month, what that was like and the whole deal? Oh, my goodness. Well, this is, as you said, this has been a long time coming. So I've been singing Barbara Streisand songs for many, many, many years, uh, supported originally sort of by the Harold Green Jewish Theater and all of the many, many concerts that I've done for them over the years. And so sort of Jewish material, but specifically, usually that lands in the Barbra Streisand vein when it comes to the music that I either choose to sing or am assigned to sing. Um, and so <laughs> while working with Mark Camilleri, he's been involved in most of these concert productions that I've been a part of. We've collaborated on many arrangements of Barbara Streisand songs. And so back in 2015, I decided to do a cabaret in town in Toronto at the 120 Diner, a cabaret version of Gab Sings Babs. And it was the very first time that I had ever put together a full cabaret concert of these songs, but it allowed us Mm. to actually do it for the first time. And that was when we put together our our version of Don't Rain on My Parade, which I think is sort of the best representation of what we are doing with it. We really just wanted to do something 
completely different with these songs to sort of have my story and my vision of these brilliant songs that have inspired me over the years and uh, to add some stories to them and to to sort of not compare the trajectory of Streisand's life and mine, but just really just using her songs to tell some of my stories and how they inspired me and how they got me to where I am. And so the songs from the album are inspired by how I was telling the stories about them in the show. Wow. You know, even I want to tell our listeners, I don't know if you guys remember, but during the pandemic, Gabby did a show that was virtual, that was on live stream. It was a cabaret performance. There was this gorgeous standing microphone and she wore a fabulous cabaret, sparkly, glittery gown. And it was fantastic. And it felt like live theater. But now finally you are back doing live theater. What is that like? The first time you stepped foot in front of a live audience and I get the chills just thinking about it because I can imagine what that must be like. There's really, it's, it's a feeling. um, I get emotional when I think about it because we had been deprived of it for so long. Um, Of course, doing something live and virtual is great and certainly filled a void that I think we were all needing at that time, but it certainly is not a replacement. And then even recording the album, you know, it was so exhilarating, but I hadn't performed these songs live really at all yet, except for a few that I had done beforehand. And so releasing the album was so thrilling to get that music out into people's ears and on their players and everything. But then just afterwards, actually opening the Port Stanley Festival Theater with the show and seeing Mm. how audiences were taking in not only the arrangements, but the stories as well. And just all of it was a real, um, it was a perfect way to sort of bookend the whole birth of this project. Wow. So without further ado, we have a fabulous track from the album. You just mentioned it. It's Don't Rain on My Parade. Everyone, let's all have a listen to Don't Rain on My Parade, a beautiful new arrangement by Gabby Epstein. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I wish there was like a thousand people here to because <laughs> like chills, chills, goosies, as J-Lo would say. Your voice is so spectacular, Gabby. That is just sensational. I, I love this. I want to come. I want to come and see your show, Gab Sings Babs, this July at Theatre Collingwood. How can people get tickets to see it? People can get tickets to that at Theatre Collingwood's website. It's called the Porchside Festival. Um, that's where you can find all of that. All of that information is on my website, GabbyEpstein.com. In my upcoming shows section, you can find uh, a link to the tickets there. And on my website, you can also find how to listen to purchase the album on all streaming platforms and on Bandcamp. And also you can purchase the actual physical CD if you would like, as long as cars still have CD players in them, I will continue to print <laughs> physical CDs, um, but it's available digitally as well. That's so wonderful. Congratulations on all this. And it reminds me of how you and Jake and your parents used to go on these long car rides to New York, listening to CDs of your favorite Broadway cast albums. And here you are with your own CD of like a Broadway inspired album. Like it's, that must just be such a trip. It's so sweet, actually. Um, you interviewed my brother Jake a few weeks ago about his show Boy Falls from the Sky. And of course, his whole show was about that. And our show Fam Jam was about that as well. But um, before his show, he played albums of some of his favorite Broadway cast recordings. And at the very end of the show and the exit music, he decided to play that track that you just heard as kind of a, a little way oh. to send everybody off a little little Easter egg for anybody that knew what was <laughs> That's so lovely. I, I love I love your family. I love what you're doing and the beautiful work you're putting out into this world. You're mm-hmm. also doing a version of Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street with the Talk is Free Theater, which closes on July 3rd. Can you just tell us briefly about this production? Okay, this is wild. I mean, I think that this show is completely sold out already, but this is an immersive production of Sweeney Todd 
So it is the show. It is the show Sweeney Todd that we all know and love, but told in a beautiful old church building that's sort of been converted into a neighborhood food hub. And so the audience Mm. walks around the entire building using all of the different nooks and crannies, a working kitchen, a stairwell, (sighs) fridges, all of this in the actual sanctuary of the church where you will experience... Sweeney Todd told in a completely new and innovative way. It's with an outstanding cast directed by Mitchell Cushman. It feels really phenomenal to be a part of. It really feels like something exciting. Wow. <laughs> I would call this all pretty exhilarating. I don't know. I'm feeling exhilarated by all this. We had your mom on the show today, of course, mm-hmm. and I know she is so proud to have you as her daughter and of course your brother as well. What is it like having acclaimed author Kathy Kaser for a mom? I'm so proud of her. It's so outstanding what she's done, you know, like she, I think that her inspiration and her drive to pursue what she wanted and the stories that she wanted to tell and just sort of take on a second career when we were young um, has, and I, I really believe that that is what inspired my brother and I to sort of pursue our own dreams. And just the fact that she's continuing the legacy of these Holocaust survivors, seeking them out, people come to her to seek out someone to tell their stories. She's really uh, such an important voice for keeping the memory alive and making sure that we never forget. And I'm just, I'm so proud to be a part of that legacy. And um, I've been recording some of her audiobooks as well. And so it's been really pretty special to witness and also now be a part of the Kathy Kaser legacy. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So fun. I know they're telling me to rap. I see that. But I have to just ask you, what is bliss for Gabby Epstein these days? Uh, You know, right now, these days, these specific days, bliss is stepping on a stage with a group of people there to experience a shared experience, something that we all are there for together in the moment and to experience music and theater live once again. For me, that is bliss right now. I get that. And well, it's bliss for us to be there watching you perform again on stage. I know we just said it, but just again, briefly, what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? Absolutely. Um, My website, GabbyEpstein.com has all of that info, but on Instagram is the best way. I'm at Gabby Faye Epstein, G-A-B-I-F-A-Y-E-P-S-T-E-I-N. And I'm also on Facebook. I've got a personal and business page. Feel free to reach out either one of those. But all of my socials are on my website, as well as a message form to contact me personally about anything specific. Awesome. That is so fantastic. I want to thank you so much, Gabby, for being back on the show again today. I hope you'll come back again. You're always welcome here. Anytime. It was so great to have you and your mom on the show today. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, and musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. If you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or really anyone who is found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. And also, what did you love about today's show? Are there any guests or topics that you would like us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? Write to us at FYB at FindingYourBliss.com. I'm also a life coach, so if I can help you in any way, please reach out to me. You can do that at FindingYourBliss.com slash coaching. I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank all of our wonderful guests for being on the show today. Thank you to Kathy Kaser and Gabby Epstein. And also thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, Associate Producer and Audio Engineer, Naira Amani, Senior Editor, Lauren Kaminsky, Associate Editor and Video Editor, Sierra Brown-Rodriguez, Audio Producer, Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer Radio. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Lee Brack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.